to the second first Saturday of recollection of this year. This morning's topic, you may have guessed, is a lady, Queen of the Rosary. The, the feast of the Holy Rosary will be on Thursday, the 2nd of October. And uh, it is a big day for us in the Institute because it is the day we received uh, from Rome, they received a designation as a community with uh, pontifical right, which means uh, we, do not, we do not depend on a diocese and archbishop for permissions to establish ourselves uh, in a diocese. We do depend on him for faculties to, to be able to increase in his diocese, but we do get uh, from Rome directly on the, the rights we need to establish a house and uh, uh, actually be able to say mass in a diocese. It is the bishop who would give us the church, which is kind of what is being done for Kenneth's new apostolate at the moment. It's uh, the negotiations are between us, the institute, and the archbishop of the place he's going to, which I still cannot tell you. <laughs> uh, so don't try to get it out of me. Um, but it's this, these kinds of details are at the level of the diocese and the Roman Institute. It is not between the diocese and another diocese where we have a mother house or something like that, which would be the case if we did not have a particular one. So October 7th, this coming Thursday, will be the anniversary of course, obtaining it, and I think it is the 10th anniversary since we got political right. Uh, it is a special feast for us, and it's also a special feast for the whole church, because we do know that uh, one of the greatest events in the history of Christendom happened on October 7th in 1571. It was uh, under the the Pope at that time was Pope Pius uh, V, and uh, it was he who made sure that uh, all the non-Christian world, at least, was praying the Rosary for the success of the Christian Navy that was going to meet the Ottoman uh, Navy in the Mediterranean at a place called the Pantheon. So in this talk, we will cover a little bit of the history of the rosary as a prayer, and also then talk about the use of the rosary for us as Catholics as a, a spiritual lifeline. Now the rosary is not just a simple series of our fathers and Hail Marys. It is also organized in such a way as to allow for meditation on various mysteries of our salvation. And this part, this meditation, is extremely important. At uh, the apparitions at Fatima, a lady asks specifically for a particular devotion called the first, the devotion of the first five Saturdays. So uh, if you take, uh, choose five Saturdays, the first five Saturdays of uh, five months in a row, uh, you could uh, follow this devotion in which you pray the rosary while meditating on the mysteries 
because these mysteries are, uh, pertain to events in the life of Christ, which itself are mysteries because it is God himself acting in our human world. God coming out of eternity and acting in time. These mysteries, these particular events, therefore, for us human beings, because God has graced us with such action, these events are also a great source of uh, uh, grace for us, for our daily lives, and also, uh, how can I put it, uh, uh, a way for us to strengthen our faith as well. Now, the idea of having beads, as you see on the rosary, in order to count short prayers as such, this, this idea has existed in the Eastern Church for longer than in the Western Church. And so therefore, it, the, the idea must have come from there. Now, in the West, they, they took that idea, but what they would do is, they had 150 beads, and they would say the Psalms, the 150 Psalms on the beads. Now, not everyone could read and write back then. So those who could not would say uh, the Abba Father, but in Latin at that time, uh, they would, which they would call the Pater Nostrum. There is even, uh, even today, a street in London, in the old part of the city of London, called Pater Nostrum Road. And it is quite possible that the guild in the city of London that made groceries had their shops on that street. And that is where they probably made groceries for anyone who needed it. Now, later on, the Hail Mary was uh, swapped in. So the recitation of the, the Hail Mary is called the angelic salutation, since it is the angel Gabriel who, uh, you could say, greeted Adam using the words Hail Mary. And this uh, the angelic salutation was brought in and it replaced uh, 10 of the Diablo uh, Fathers. Even the word uh, B to, to, for, for the Rosary, to, to count all of the 150 prayers of the Rosary, the word B comes from an old English word spelled, uh, pronounced B, but spelled B E B E. And it means, in old English, it means prayer. So this, uh, all, the whole uh, of the rosary in its own physical construction and even in the, the way it is prayed has everything to do with the one particular purpose of praying to God. Now, uh, you may have seen some religious uh, communities as part of their habit. They wear the rosary and this practice of wearing it on the left is unknown in the east. It is a practice that came from, from the west. The left is also where a soldier would wear his sword. And a Christian is uh, called to be a soldier against uh, the powers and principalities of darkness. He's always supposed to be ready to fight the spiritual warfare, to, to always speak and live the truth in his life. And so the rosary is like a spiritual weapon. And so these religious communities wear it on the left side of their signature, like the song. So in its rudimentary form, the rosary consisted of common prayers, 
known and loved by the faithful, either the Our Father or the Our Father with Real Marys, or if you could read and write the Psalms, and it was counted on these beads. Now you cannot uh, make up, or, or rather, recount the history of the Rosary without mentioning Saint Dominic and Blessed Alan de la Roche. It is easy to find many who doubt that the recitation of the Rosary as an efficacious prayer was revealed to Saint Dominic. There is almost no uh, documentary proof, even from records of some. So Saint Dominic himself never spoke about how he received the rosary uh, from a lady in a vision, or even that he uh, preached about the rosary. But what we do know, and uh, we do know about it, about that St. Dominic received it, uh, through the visions of Blessed Alan de la Roche, who was another Dominican in the community of Dominicans, but he lived much later, much after St. Dominic. Now, uh, Given the spread of the rosary in the history of the church and the practice of its devotion even today, we cannot discount uh, these visions of uh, Blessed Alan. What we can do in the absence of evidence is that we can have faith. And uh, the fact that there is a tradition for something points that there must have been a starting point for it. But without evidence, we cannot say this was the starting point for sure, the visions to St. Dominic or so on and so forth. Now, St. Louis Marie de Montfort explains uh, what's in Holy Scripture to that we owe divine faith because we know what put the Scriptures together. So we believe that, it's, we believe that it is true because it came from God and God is truth. He cannot lie. Now, uh, if uh, a human being is trustworthy in what he recounts, not the CDC, but the human, uh, perhaps, perhaps some other human being, we can, we can give them human faith. So, yes, we cannot give human faith to maybe the CDC or some people in the White House, but we can, or even the media, but we can give human faith to uh, perhaps, let's see, let's say the weatherman when he does get it right, or uh, someone, say uh, the postman when he calls us to drop off a package or something like that, and he's on his way or something like that. So we can believe without seeing uh, him already at the church, we can still believe over the phone that he's going to show up and he will drop off the package, and so on and so forth. Or even our, our teachers, when we were in school, we, we have to have a human faith towards them in what they are teaching us, and later on, maybe in the lab, we can actually do the experiments and see, okay, what we were taught in school was actually correct, and makes sense. And there is, in the case of uh, uh, things like the rosary, there is a type of faith called pious faith because uh, we read about the visions of Blessed Alan de la Roche. They do not generally write things that are against faith and morals, uh, these authors who have written about these visions. So we can have 
whether in the absence of documentary evidence, we can have something called pious faith towards them. Uh, yes, they are human beings, but they're writing about uh, long-standing traditions in the, in the church, which is a divine entity, uh, which is both a human and divine entity, but because it was founded by, uh, by God himself, we, we have something more than human faith in the fact that the rosary as a prayer has existed for so many centuries. Uh, another example of this would be uh, the Bible. The, the books of the Bible was not fixed until the Council of Trent. Until then, the church being the only church that ever existed simply used all these books in her masses and in her sacraments and other liturgies. So uh, at the Council of Trent, because the Protestant Reformation had taken place, and now all of these things came into question, it was necessary to fix which books are inspired and which ones uh, and therefore should be put aside, and which ones together should be called the Bible. And for the Council of the Fathers at Trent, it was easy. All they had to do was say, the books we have always been using for the Mass, those are the books that they inspired. Because right from the beginning, first the apostles taught the doctrine, the evangelists, if they were not the apostles themselves, wrote it. And uh, St. Paul too wrote several of these uh, letter episodes. And second, thirdly, the Lord himself quoted the Septuagint whenever he spoke and he was quoting scripture. And so these, uh, the fact that evangelists and St. Paul used those references from the Septuagint that uh, Allah itself had used, uh, itself proves that the Septuagint must have been inspired and must be kept. And so it was easy for the fathers of the Council of Trent to simply use the books that the church had always been using and say, this is the Bible. And from then on, we get the Bible as we know it today. It wasn't Martin Luther who wrote the Bible or anyone else. No, the Bible is a Catholic book. And for it, we, we can, yes, we can have divine faith, but we can have pious faith in the fact that the fathers of the church at Trent put it together, because in fact that is what we, they did. And in fact, this is without looking at the documentary evidence. There is even documentary evidence, because there are all the documents of the Council of Trent, where they discuss and put these points together. So this is just to give you an illustration that we can owe three different types of faith. Divine faith for things that come from God. Human faith for things that are come entirely from a trustworthy human being. And pious uh, faith for things that are long-standing tradition that uh, we cannot discount but we do not have documentary evidence for. So towards these writings of Blessed Alan de la Roche, we can at least have pious faith that there were visions truly given to St. Dominic, even though St. Dominic himself never truly, never spoke about them in his sermons or his writings. Now, uh, so from these writings of Blessed Alan de la Roche, we know that it was towards the end of the 12th century and the beginning of the 13th century that St. Dominic must have received the rosary in its present form as an aid 
to the faithful to counter the Albigensian heresy which was spreading in southern France at the time. Now, St. Dominic preached for about 10 years to extirpate this heresy and he made little headway. It was in 2014, according to Blessed Alain de la Roche, that Our Lady revealed to him the rosary in its present form. That is, uh, five groups of ten Hail Marys separated out by our fathers. Until that time, one only said 150 our fathers, like I told you, uh, as they were made, they were called paternosters, or 150 Hail Marys, while counting them off. If uh, one did not you know, say the Psalms while counting the 150 years. But it is Our Lady, through this vision, who regrouped them in groups of 10 Hail Marys, separated out with our fathers as we know it today. Now, uh, it is Our Lady also who recommended that they be said while meditating on a mystery from the life, the passion and death and resurrection of our Lord. So each prayer on the bead is uh, like a rose that we offer to our lady. And so therefore the whole rosary is, is a crown of roses, or it's called Corona Rosari. And that's why in Latin, that's actually what it is called. It is not just called a rosary or a, or a rosa or rosary. It's called the Corona Rosari. Now in some other languages in uh, Europe, uh, especially, I'll give you the example of French. When you say just one set of mysteries, just the joyful mysteries going around the uh, 50 uh, Hail Marys with, with uh, our fathers and everything, you just call it a chapter. If you say all of the three sets of mysteries, that's, the, that's when you call it a rosary. So, that's, yeah, that's an interesting detail. But uh, this is why also when we uh, say the Divine Mercy Chapel, we call it a chapel. This is where it came from. So it's possible that in Polish too, if you go once around your, your rosary beads, you, you call it a chapel. Now, it is since uh, 1214, you can guess that as soon as St. Dominic began to preach on the rosary, there was a return to the faith of large numbers of the faithful by gone astray, and the heresy was brought to its knees by the time of his death in 1221. So this is, uh, once he started preaching the rosary, it took seven years to extirpate the heresy. Blessed Alan de la Roche, in the latter half of the 15th century, also preached the rosary, and he strengthened what was called the confraternity of the rosary that was established by St. Dominic. It was this confraternity that was again strengthened by Pope Pius V uh, because he needed all of the spiritual help he could get to form that, that Christian coalition that would go face the Ottoman Empire. Uh, this, uh, there were other organizations for the Rosary. Uh, there is one called the uh, Perpetual Rosary in which each person says the, the whole rosary at a specific time so that all 24 hours of a day are covered. There is also a living rosary founded by Venerable Pauline Jericho in uh, 
1826, and it is, uh, and this is made up by a group of 15 persons. So every day, each person just recites one decade, which is assigned to them. Now, uh, as I mentioned to you, uh, Pope, Pope St. Pius V called on the members of the Confraternity of the Rosary, and in fact, in fact, he gave many indulgences to uh, encourage people to join the Confraternity and to keep praying the Rosary for the Christian forces. So uh, in Lepanto, the Catholic forces uh, won this, this famous victory that we still celebrate today through the feast that we have on, that we will have on Thursday, October 7th. This was in 1571, but this was not the only victory. At uh, La Rochelle in 1628, there was uh, a civil war going on in France between the Catholics and the Protestants, and it was at La Rochelle under Cardinal Richelieu, who himself rode into battle, uh, that it was at La Rochelle that the Protestant forces were defeated, and they were being helped by the English, uh, supplying them over the sea. La Rochelle is on the sea coast. Uh, in Belgrade, in uh, 1770, the uh, Christians were able to beat back the Ottomans, again in another famous victory, and from then on, the uh, well, many say that it was at 1683 at the gates of Vienna when the Ottomans could not take, when they failed to take uh, Vienna, that uh, their decline had started. But uh, if anything, 1717 in Belgrade kind of gave it another kick, and from then on, the Austrians, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, kept, you know, kept good control over the whole of Eastern Europe and was able to steadily push the Ottomans back. Now all of these victories were, are attributed to the intercession of Our Lady because it was by uh, public recitation of the Rosary that her help was uh, invoked. So of course, uh, it was Pope Pius V who instituted the Feast of the Holy Rosary in uh, 1571 after that Battle of Lepanto. And it was uh, Pope Clement XI who extended it to the whole church after the victory in Belgrade in uh, 1717. Now, uh, I mentioned St. Louis Marie de Montfort. Uh, St. Louis Marie, he, uh, he saw the great value of the rosary because in France, where he was living in the 18th century, but much before the French Revolution, because at that time, and one of the reasons uh, Protestantism could even survive in, in a place like France, which was very Catholic at the time, one of the reasons was that there was a heresy going around, the heresy of Jansenism. And uh, against this heresy, our Lord himself appeared to a nun named St. Margaret Mary of the in 1689 and spoke of the devotion to his sacred heart. Um, now, what Jansenism is, is that it makes uh, the Catholic faith extremely bureaucratic and actually very rigid, which is what we have been accused of. So it makes the Catholic faith very rigid. I mean, people, you could not go to communion except maybe once or twice a year. If you did, you had to show a little ticket that you had been to confession already, and you had to show it to the priest at the communion trail before he gave you communion. Um, 
they were, they were also so rigid in their thinking about grace that they, uh, that they actually spoke against a, a, type, a particular type of grace that's called efficacious grace. Now, what it, it may imply and by, from the name efficacious grace that uh, God kind of uh, controls us by remote control. But that is not true. He does not do that. It is called efficacious grace because it is that uh, it, it is the kind of push that we need at just the right moment that helps us finish a task that we are uh, on our own unable to finish. Uh, it is kind of like the time when uh, you're in an oral exam. You're all the first communion kids should know this. You're trying to give an answer. The teacher knows you know the answer. So he drops a hint, a very close hint, because he knows you know it. And all you have to do is kind of connect that with the thing that's in your head, which he can see floating. <laughs> and so usually that's the kind of way it is. So you still do the work. You still make that last connection. And that's the kind of help that efficacious grace is. So it is not something that, uh, what do you say, uh, by which God controls you by as like like a remote control or something. But uh, the Jansenists wanted to deny even that. They wanted to deny that God helps us by this kind of grace. They even had uh, modified some of the litanies saying, and from uh, efficacious grace, please save us, O Lord, and things like that. And so they, they have made everything so dry and rigid that uh, you know, it was really breaking down Catholics as they were. They could not truly be who they were. And they could give little response to, to this Protestantism raging all over, all over France at the time. So St. Louis Marie de Montfort realized, and uh, he saw this happening, and so he preached a devotion to Our Lady through the Holy Rosary. And uh, yes, he had much uh, success because he worked in a part of France called the Vendée. In 1789, you know that the French Revolution broke out, and you probably know also that the only place where there was a sustained resistance against the revolutionaries was in the Vendée. So there is something about the Rosary, something about saying in our Father Tehreh Mary's, meditating on these life, these mysteries of our Lord, that can strengthen uh, Catholics to the point that they can stand up so solidly for their faith. Now, uh, Saint, Saint Louis Marie de Montfort died in uh, 1717. So he had done such a good job until then that even in 1789, maybe that was two generations later, uh, people were able to rise up to defend the king and, and their church. Now we have uh, St. Francis Xavier as well, established a devotion to the Rosary in every territory that he went to. And uh, he himself used to say the Rosary every day. He took it to uh, all over the, the coast of Africa, of uh, Arabia, India, and went all the way to Japan. Now when uh, the Japanese rulers in 1615, much after his death, when they turned against the Catholic faith, they destroyed all the churches, they expelled all the missionaries. Um, the Japanese Christians obviously had to hide. They had no way, no one to say mass for them and so on. And uh, the story goes 
the, the last priest was found and killed in 1644 in Japan. And from then on until 1865, that's more than 220 years later, the Japanese Christians had only two sacraments, baptism and matrimony. In 1865, first foreign missionaries were allowed to return, and tens of thousands of hidden Christians came back to the faith. And in order to establish whether these were real missionaries, real Catholic missionaries, they were asked to show their rosaries. And it was only when they saw their rosaries, the first rosaries held in foreign hands, and uh, the Japanese had their own, when they saw how they were the same thing, uh, the, 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 the investigation was over. They, they knew they had found uh, you know, a, a way back to the faith. Now, uh, these hidden Christians, they had preserved the faith, and they had preserved even the liturgical calendar that they had. Obviously, no new saints were added, but they had done it all for, they had preserved it all for more than, for about 250 years without any priests. So coming to more recent times, the rosary, you know, was central to the, to Our Lady's apparition at Lourdes. At the apparitions itself, St. Bernadette saw Our Lady praying the rosary. And uh, Lourdes itself was named the town of the rosary once it, uh, once it became a big pilgrimage center. Every uh, if in the 19th century, they, every evening, they, they started doing a rosary procession. And even today, when you go to Lourdes, you can join into this procession. In 1917, at Fatima, again, a lady appeared with a rosary in order to teach the three shepherd children how to say it. She encouraged them. I've already spoken to you about the first uh, devotion of the first five Saturdays. And it was through it that uh, a lady encouraged the, the three children uh, to a devotion to her Immaculate Heart. Now, uh, back in, uh, in the 13th century, when a lady gave uh, the rosary to St. Dominic, she had promised him at that time that it was going to be through this rosary and the scapula that she, she would save the whole world. In 1917, we know that these, uh, we do not know exactly the full extent of what these visions mean, but we know that they are extremely important for our time now. We seem to be living the time of these prophecies from 1917, these prophecies given by the And so, uh, without knowing uh, the, all the details of what our lady wanted to say, she, uh, she, we do know that it is through the rosary and the wearing of the scapular that we will be able to maintain our faith and uh, be able to somehow get through whatever may be coming to us. So now let us see why the rosary is so efficacious. Why, how, what, what is it about the rosary, about this telling of uh, you know, one our father and ten Hail Marys, what is it about it that, that allows us to kind of make Catholics Forming Catholics and helps them in difficult times, in times of persecution, to preserve their faith. So let's go back to 1571. Uh, Pope St. Pius V, after the Battle of Lepanto, 
uh, he uh, organized the rosary and established a mystery for each uh, decade of the rosary. And he arranged them into three groups of five joyful, sorrowful, and glorious mysteries as we know today, taken from the life of the Lord. Until then, even though Our Lady had given a set of mysteries like that, it's not that Pope St. Pius the fifth changed everything. He probably went back to that because over time, things had changed in the whole church. Uh, again, this is just normal in the practice of the church. It's like, uh, uh, the Mass, for example, uh, and the Council of Trent had to codify the Latin Mass and had to say this is how the Mass will be celebrated and, the, and it was at the Council that the Roman Missal, as we know it today, was defined. Until then, uh, it was at this Council also, the Council of Trent, that it was decided that any rites uh, older than 200 years could stay, could be preserved, but any rights younger than 200 years had to be suppressed and they had to go to the Roman rite. And the reason for this was because they, they had, in the Mass, at that time, by 1571, many variations had crept in in churches all over Europe, even in different cities, from one church to another. And sometimes instead of reading the episode, they would read an excerpt from the from a father of the church. because. When you, we say the divine office, that's what we do with the sermons of the fathers of the church to explain the readings of the mass. That, that's, that's what we read in, uh, in the office of matins, in the first office of the divine office of the day. Now, uh, so all these things started creeping into the mass and to the liturgy. So in 15, uh, uh, the Council of Trent simply codified the mass by saying this is how the Roman rite would be celebrated. So in a, kind of in that respect, Pope St. Pius V simply went back to the origins and uh, according to Our Lady's wishes right at the beginning, he picked and uh, put together, perhaps going through documents or old records, that these would be the mysteries of the Rosary. So and he did this partly because he wanted the whole of Christendom to pray the Rosary for the sake of this battle in the party. Now, uh, now uh, Pope Leo XIII, he saw the, he, he became Pope uh, in the late 19th century after the intervention of Our Lady of Lourdes in, uh, in 1858. He had obviously knew about the history of the French Revolution. He had seen all of the disturbances it caused because uh, not only did the revolutionaries try to destroy the church in France, Napoleon, their, their general, wanted to export the revolution to all of Europe. And so effectively he perturbed all of European society, most especially Germany, and going, he went all the way across into Russia. And so uh, he, he brought all this disorder into ecclesiastical affairs, into in church affairs uh, over the whole of Europe. And Pope Leo XIII, uh, seeing all of these things and seeing all of these new doctrines of these revolutionaries and how they started evolving, uh, we'll go to, to one of them soon. But uh, it was Pope Leo XIII who uh, decided to, to write and promote the Rosary 
during his pontificate. Uh, he took as his inspiration also the intervention of the Mother of God at Lourdes uh, in 1858, when she confirmed, in fact, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception that had already been uh, proclaimed four years before. There was no way St. Bernadette of Subiru could know that Alevi had been declared the Immaculate Conception because she could not read or write. And yet, when she came to the parish priest and said, this lady said, her name is, I am the Immaculate Conception. The parish priest knew it was authentic. And it went on from there through the bishop back to the Vatican that a lady had appeared in Lourdes, in fact. Now, uh, Pope Leo XIII, in all, he wrote 12 encyclicals and five apostolic letters on the Holy Rosary, recommending it strongly to all of Christendom for, to, to practice as a devotion. In all of, it, all of his writings, he never failed to recall the great victories that this devotion had won for the church over heretics to the faith and its enemies. So he made many wonderful recommendations for the spiritual life of the faith. So we'll take uh, one of his encyclicals, Mani Dei Martis, sorry, Matris, of the Great Mother of God. He explained the relation of the rosary both to faith and morality. And uh, at that time in society, morals were being weakened all over, but starting, of course, in France, which was where the French Revolution had started. It was, it, uh, it, it was being weakened by the introduction of a, a doctrine that is clearly Freemasonic in its origins. It's the doctrine of liberalism. And it is a doctrine that sought to make a compromise between the faith and morals of Catholics and that of the world after the French Revolution. Now, I mentioned that because of that revolution in 1789, the church had suffered immensely. Uh, in fact, uh, every, the, the revolutionaries wanted to destroy everything and uh, destroy the church and any, any trace of Catholic faith in the life of, uh, of the people. And so they reorganized not only the whole country because they wanted to break down borders and make, uh, make a whole new organization of the country. I guess you can say they wanted to build that better. <laughs> and uh, they, they also reorganized the calendar year, the week, the week they made, came up with had 10 days. The calendar year, I think, had 10 months or, and things like that. Uh, they, uh, of course, changed the names of the months, the days of the week, and everything. Now, uh, what this meant, of course, is that sometimes, and today you'll find it, you'll find dioceses which have three cathedrals in them, and only one can be used. Uh, the reason being, of course, that back under the time of the monarchy, each cathedral was a cathedral of the diocese, and it had grown organically uh, based on which region of France it was, and what language people spoke, and so on and so forth. And here the revolutionaries went in and uh, smashed everything down. Now, uh, because the church suffered immensely, you probably have heard of all the atrocities, uh, people being burned in, uh, how to say, being pushed into churches and simply being burned alive, or uh, even 
and this is this is something that was actually first seen at the French Revolution. Uh, human bodies were being broken down to make things out of leather from human skin, uh, buttons or soaps and things like that. And you know, at the Second World War, then the Nazis did not get their ideas out of Rome. It was the revolutionaries in France that had come up with all these things, and they were doing this. Of course, with those who were resisting them, those who were remaining firm in the Catholic faith, not with uh, those who had signed over, you know, accepted whatever they, they were preaching. So by 1891, many Catholics were starting to come around to this Freemasonic doctrine because so many years of, of fighting and uh, without without a good firm practice of, of the faith, so many years of fighting, they were, they were starting to get tired and starting to give up. And this is not, a, of course, a physical tiredness, it's a kind of like a spiritual tiredness, a tiredness of the soul. Now, many bishops saw the danger of such compromises with liberalism, and so in response to their demands, and of course the Pope himself saw these things, so he wrote these encyclicals and apostolic letters to remind Catholics of their duty to stay loyal to the faith. And he suggested a fervent recitation of the rosary for this. Now, I mentioned earlier that he went back many times in history and spoke of all the victories Our Lady got for us in response to the fervent prayers of Catholics. And through this, God showed the power of this devotion to Our Lady. So the Pope himself enjoins us to use this means for our salvation. He said, when we have recourse to Mary in prayer, we are having recourse to the Mother of Mercy, who is so well disposed towards us that whatever the necessity that presses upon us, especially in attaining eternal life, she is instantly at our side of her own accord, even though she has not been invoked. She dispenses grace with a generous hand from that treasure from which the beginning Sorry, that treasure with which from the beginning she was divinely endowed in fullest abundance, that she might be worthy to be the mother of God. By the fullness of grace, which confers on her the most illustrious of her many titles, the Blessed Virgin is infinitely superior to all the hierarchies of men, of men and angels. She is the one creature who is the closest of all to Christ. It is a great thing in any saint to have grace sufficient for the salvation of many souls, but to have enough to suffice for the salvation of everybody in the world is the greatest of all, and this is found in Christ and in the Blessed Virgin. So Pope Leo XIII then goes on to remind us that he pleased Our Lady enormously when we greet her with the Hail Mary repeatedly, because at each presentation, we recall the memory of her exalted dignity as Mother of God and of the redemption of the human race, which God began through her. We also bring to mind the humiliations and triumphs and the joys and sorrows of Christ in bringing man to eternal life. Because Mary is a mother through Christ, we can experience her intense charity and affection if we maintain this devotion of the Hotel Rose. We must therefore boldly approach her 
and with confidence beseech her for her help by her bonds of motherhood, and then we will certainly enjoy the protection of her mantle. Now why is the rosary a great means to increase our faith? It begins with the creed, which is a profession of our faith, and the faith is the first of things necessary for every Christian. St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that faith has four good effects. Through faith, the soul is united to God. The eternal begins in the soul. Our present life receives its rightful direction. And through faith, we are able to overcome temptations. So it is apt that the recitation of the rosary, which increases the faith of the one who says it, begins with the Apostles' Creed. Then the mysteries, they bring to mind the main events of the life of our Lord, the way, the truth, and the life for our salvation. So Pope Leo XIII of Blessed Memory says, God gave us a most precious blessing when he gave us faith. By this gift, we are not only raised above the level of human beings to contemplate and share in the divine nature, but we are also furnished with the means of meriting the rewards of heaven. Therefore the hope is encouraged and strengthened that we shall one day look upon God, not in the shadowy images of his creatures, but in the fullest light, and shall enjoy him forever as a supreme goodness. Now, it is a, a, a fact, it's not impossible to do this, just by simply looking at nature, we know that man did not create it. And we scientists actually studying all of the natural processes, discover in a way you know, how it's all well organized and set up. How uh, the fact that the earth is in its particular orbit and not anywhere else is uh, important for the sustenance of life on this planet. The rotation of the sun and things like the water cycle, and even uh, uh, all of this is, helps with, uh, you know, at the macro level to for the life we see around us. But then again, we have not finished asking and answering questions about the human body, about what we see in the animal world or in the plant world and so on. There's so much to discover, so much to learn. And so, uh, anyone who simply a, a real philosopher who looks at all this and when putting things together say there must have been a greater intelligence that must have put all these things together to make it work so well. And this itself is actually an argument against the theory of evolution because if this was all random, there, it, it's, it's a very, an infinitesimally small chance that it's, it's, very it's a chance that's close to zero that it could have come together in this way. And you could take even the simplest single-cell organism floating in water somewhere, that, that it itself is quite complicated. And there's no way all of its molecules could have just fallen together, <coughs> in, you know, in, in, randomly in, in, in that particular way. So this is what uh, uh, the, the Pope is alluding to. These, uh, these things, when you study the world, these are the shadowy images of the creatures of God that kind of, in, in a way, speak to us of this greater creator who, who put them together. And uh, 
better, better faith, that this divine gift of faith, we know now that there is a God. We may not have, you know, had documentary evidence for it. I mean, miracles are a way God makes His uh, presence known to us, but that's not, uh, that, that's not, how do I put it, the kind of uh, argument that we can have when we say this podium is made of wood. You know, that we are human beings and we use, we need our senses. Science works by sensory uh, data. And so therefore, we, to truly know for ourselves, without using faith, just using reason, we need sensory information. And about God, we cannot have that, which is why we need faith. And faith introduces us to the divine. And we cannot have faith by ourselves. It's not uh, the, the faculty of reason on steroids. We can have faith only if we have reason, but we cannot have faith uh, without it being given to us by God. God is divine, and by the gift of faith, he introduces us to the divine, and that's what the Pope is alluding to here. It is by the gift of faith that we are not only raised above the level of human beings to contemplate and share the divine nature, but we are also furnished with the means of meriting the rewards of heaven, which means that once we have the gift of faith, we have this connection with God, we can receive his graces, and then we can do things uh, that are supernatural. And, uh, we can, uh, for example, make choices for or against the faith, but we can make choices that, are, that have a supernatural consequence for us. We can choose uh, as something as simple as making sure we go to church on Sunday for, to worship God for that hour, hour and a half, and so on and so forth. Uh, these choices that we make, we make out of the faith, and they help us gain merit to, to enter heaven at the end of our lives. And so we, we can have the hope of this, this entry to heaven, where instead of knowing about God by looking at the things he has created, we, can, we will be able to see God face to face. So this, this is what the Pope is alluding to. Now, here below, the Christian is kept so busy by the various affairs of life that he can wander into matters of little importance. So therefore, with frequent reminders, he receives little helps. And he receives these truths, which are of the first importance. They're necessary for our salvation. That's what the, the faith, the data of faith is. So unless he be helped with these frequent reminders, they are, these truths can be forgotten little by little. And that's when the faith grows weak and perishes. Which is why, in praying the rosary, we can follow these important events of the life of our Lord, bring them to our mind for contemplation, and thereby we strengthen our faith. Now the rosary is also a means to regulate our life in keeping the commandments and precepts of the church. Because we know that faith without works is death. So while dwelling on the events of our Lord's life that we can recite as the mysteries of the Holy Rosary, our souls are inspired by these meditations to make virtuous resolutions, and then we can hold ourselves accountable to these resolutions. Uh, once our Lord calls us into his presence by this pious recitation of the Rosary, 
He, can, he then gives us his graces so that we can grow into his own meekness and humility of heart, and we can share with him the true and solid peace of his sacred heart. Now, so this is how the rosary helps us, uh, helps strengthen our faith and also our morality, uh, and helps us to truly uh, not only know our faith by uh, bringing to mind these, uh, these events in the life of our Lord and contemplating them, but also to make resolutions so that we will daily fight those interior battles against uh, our own sinful natures and uh, turn ourselves close and bring ourselves close and closer to God by cooperating with His graces. Now, one last point before we go to church. The Pope tells us that we must not be discouraged by our own weaknesses by which we fall back into our habitual sins. In such a situation, we have a mother Mary. He tells us she was born, it is true, of the royal family of David, but she was an heir to none of the wealth and grandeur of her ancestors. She passed her life in obscurity, in a humble town, in a home that was even more humble. The more content with her retirement and the poverty of her home, because they left her free to lift up her heart to God and to cling to Him closely as the supreme goodness for which her heart yearned. The Lord is with her, whom He has filled with His grace and made blessed. She is designated by the heavenly messenger sent to her as the virgin from whom, by the power of the Holy Ghost, the Savior of the nations is to come forth, clothed in our humanity. The more she wonders at the sublime dignity and gives thanks to the power and mercy of God, the more does she, conscious of no merit in herself, grow in humility, promptly proclaiming and consecrating herself the handmaid of God, even while she becomes his mother. Since she fulfilled her mission here on earth in perpetual union with her son Jesus, sharing with him all his sorrows and joys and sorrows, and Lord now honors her with a glory that will never be given to any other creature. She is therefore the Queen of Heaven and Earth, seated by the side of her Son, crowned for all eternity, and it is for us a more accessible example of every virtue, since she is a creation of God, just like us. So the Pope says, in any state of discouragement, whether it is because of our own mistakes or weaknesses, we should look to her and strive to imitate her rather than being afraid of God's divine majesty, thinking to ourselves that he is asking us for the impossible. With her powerful help, we can dedicate ourselves wholeheartedly to the undertaking of our salvation and starting with small steps, follow her all the way to heaven. Undaunted and full of courage, let us go on with the pilgrimage we have undertaken, even though the way be rough and full of obstacles. Amid the vexation and toil, let us not cease to hold out supplying hands to Mary with the words of the Church. To thee do we set up our side, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, the eyes of mercy towards us. Keep our lives all spotless, make our ways secure, 
till we find in Jesus joys that will endure. So because she was free of all sin, she was never subject to the weaknesses and disorders of our fallen human nature. However, she has that same human nature. She's a creature of God. She knows what it should be when it is perfect, ordered, strengthened by grace, and free of sin. Thus, Mary knows the condition of our human nature, and she is the best and most solicitous of mothers. How, willing, how willingly will she hasten to our aid when we need her? With what love will she refresh us, and with what strength sustain us? For those of us who follow the journey, hallowed by the blood of Christ and by the tears of Mary, our entrance into their company and the enjoyment of their most blessed glory will be certain and easy. Therefore the rosary is a means to help us grow in our faith by contemplating the mysteries of the life of our Lord and by this contemplation being a means to make good resolutions so that we can orient all our ways, all our acts to cooperate with grace and grow in virtue and perfection. It becomes therefore an excellent form of prayer for us. It can be prayed at any place and at any time. Well, that's, that's where I end this talk. Uh, 